Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Julie Kennedy. Julie is principal of Roville Secondary College in Melbourne, Victoria, here in Australia. Welcome to my podcast, Julie. I'm very excited to be with you, Jono. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. You live in a beautiful part of the world. I feel like I always joke on the podcast about getting sponsored by Tourism Queensland, but let's be honest, um, Melbourne and Tourism Victoria could definitely get some great ROI out of me because it's definitely one of my favourite places in the world where you are. Perfect weather today. Absolutely perfect. Just beautiful autumn weather. Jealous. Beautiful down there. Uh, So tell us a bit about your, I guess to start off, tell us a bit about what you do, your role as principal and a little bit about Roeville Secondary College. Right. So I've been uh, at Roeville Secondary College since 2011. I came here as an assistant principal. And uh, in 2016, I uh, took on the role of, of principal. So Roeville is... I think a very unique school. It's it's a large school. There are two campuses, um, and there's 1,800 students. I've got about 240 staff that I work with, but we are a strengths-based school. So we have a, a programs approach, and students come in as um, specialists in a particular program and they spend one third of their time in that program. So there's some really unique and creative approaches that we've got to education and a pretty strong um, philosophy about educating students through their strengths. Well, that's that's uh, fantastic. And there we have a lot of educators who listen to the podcast. So I think uh, there'll be a lot of people after hearing that and hearing a little bit about Roeville who'll be Googling uh, oh, while they listen. And uh, no, that's, that is really interesting, particularly for those listeners outside of Australia. I know they'll be uh, listening with interest, but it's also very, it's also a unique approach within Australia as well, what you're doing. Yes. Uh, we don't know of any other school that um, does education in exactly the same way. There are sort of snippets of it, but uh, yeah, we feel pretty unique and very proud. And we have a, um, our, aim is to be the very best um, specialist school in Australia. And in many ways, I think that we're meeting that at this point in time. Congratulations. That's, uh, you know, it's going to be today, I'm obviously going to chat a bit more and ask a bit more about your story, but uh, perhaps down the track, we could do a, I'd love to invite you back and we can maybe do a podcast all about the school and about um, education, the, the way you do it, because that's a topic. Um, I think that people in and outside of education would be really interested because there's, I, I'm already seeing the parallels just from having this initial conversation uh, around uh, ranks-based education and how we can, why you do that. And, and so, um, but yeah, that would be so, so there's an invitation maybe for part right, two. Uh, well, I'd <laughs> love to, I, I, I love talking about the school. So that would be a pleasure. Wonderful. Let's do that. Um, let's do that down the track, maybe in a few months. 
Uh, today, I really want to find out, and I know our listeners love hearing people's stories. So let's start with growing up. You know, if you think back to your childhood, uh, Julie, what are some of the moments that come to mind or even just anything that's for some reason it's really memorable from your childhood that really shaped you becoming the leader you are today? Yes, I think there's really two um, significant events that stand out. And the first one, um, it sounds a bit cliche, but I was really inspired by my mother's story. Her mum died when she was three years old and she was the youngest of um, six children and then was raised by her dad, who was a, a baker. So he would work all night and sleep during the day. So she basically raised wow. herself without any, um, you know, she had no toys. She had one dress that the nuns used to take from her and wash and give back to her. And uh, so a really challenging, challenging childhood. And she met my dad and they married and um, she had five children of her own. And then she decided um, that there was more to her story than that. So she took herself off to night school and did her year 12 and, and got the, um, a very high score in her year 12. And she desperately wanted to become a nurse. And uh, the, uh, she lived in Ballarat, but the matron there, the hospital, wouldn't accept a married woman with children into her course. So my mother said to her, I'm coming back every day uh, to um, <laughs> to speak with you until you let me into the course. So it took a month and uh, they uh, accepted her in. She uh, graduated um, with honours, was the, the top uh, nurse in her course. She went on to do a, an honours degree, then a, a master's in nursing and ended up as the director of nursing at Austin Hospital in Melbourne, which is a very big uh, wow. hospital. And she did all of that through just the sheer determination of going after what she she wanted and nothing was going to stand in her way. So I'm incredibly proud of that. And I think that I've um, inherited or, or learned from her um, some of that, um, uh, you know, dogged attitude about chasing uh, what you want. <laughs> that was a, a, a big... Um, motivator for for who i am today but the second one um yeah. is probably you know a, a common story and common uh in this day and age particularly with what's going on in the world but i suffered really badly from anxiety as an adolescent and i was incredibly shy and i i would have this sort of panic attack whenever i looked at someone um in the eye so I used to hide behind my hair all the time and uh, it took me a lot of work um, a lot of challenging myself to overcome that anxiety and one of the things I love about my job is that I can see that in um, the children that are here at the at the school and I believe that having gone through that has given me a great amount of empathy. Um, and I think that EQ is, is a really vital skill for being a leader in, in any field, but particularly in education. So, you know, I've had a, a few occasions where I've 
um, walked into a class and there's that student sitting in the in the back of the classroom with their head down and their hair mm. over their face so that they can't be seen. Um, so I know and understand that and, and that's a driver for me to, to support those students to, you know, to, to use their strengths yeah. and, and, and to get the best that they can out of, out of their lives. Wow, that's, uh, that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing about both, uh, both of uh, those really important parts of your life when you were growing up. I want to ask you about your mum. What a, what a woman. That's, um, yeah, what a woman. <laughs> that's just, that, wow, that's just one of my favourite mm. stories I've heard in, yeah. in recent times. Incredible. Right. Going back every day. Yeah. That's just yeah. the every definition <laughs> of resilience and perseverance yes. and determination. Yes. Um, now as a leader, you know, leading across two campuses, what are some of the things you see in how you lead today that you still sort of, you know, you still chuckle and think back to your mum that really you learned from her? Like what are, what are those sort of big leadership lessons as you lead the school that, that you can sort of link back to, uh, to your mum's influence? Well, the truth is that my mum is still influencing me today. So whenever I have a problem, I get on the phone and I talk to her about it. <laughs> so she's, she's incredibly wise um, and uh, a very useful resource. So one of the uh, things that she taught me is really about eating the frog, you know, those really challenging things that you've got to do. You've got to yeah. go for those. Don't, don't leave it on the back burner. Do them first. And in my role, one of the most challenging things um, and I need to do is, is really have hard conversations with staff who might be um, underperforming. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I found is um, that you can have those hard conversations if you've got love in your heart. If people know that what you want as an outcome is a good re resolution, a win-win, um, but you can't wrap those conversations up in so much cotton wool that people don't understand the, the point that you're making. So you have to be really clear about what the issue is. Um, you have to listen really carefully, um, but really that love in your heart, what we want as an outcome from this hard conversation is, you know, both of us walking away feeling like we're in a better place than when we sat down to have the conversation. Um, yeah. And that yeah. has really helped me. And, and people have a respect for that. They know um, when they come to see me that they'll hear honesty, um, but they know that mm. um, I love this school and, and I've got um, everybody's best interests at heart. Yeah, that's... Um, I um, that from my mum. Yeah, that's amazing. It's funny, this is... This is something that I've been surprised by some of the uh, things that have come up on the podcast the most, to tell you the truth. And one of the things that I probably mentioned already three or four times is the book Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Have you, come, have you come across no. that book? No, oh, this I is so This is so funny because you just described your approach to these difficult conversations exactly, which is, which is what the whole book about. Basically, yeah. my key takeaway from the book is, um, is there's there's a quadrant and in the basically your left hand side of the quadrant is about how much you care as a leader and the uh the horizontal the bottom side of the quadrant is about um how much you're willing to challenge your people and the whole idea right. of the book is what we need is radical candor we can't obviously you don't want to be in the bottom left where you don't care yes. or challenge 
But yeah. if we can be in the top, if we're in the top left, it's because we're really caring deeply, um, but we don't actually challenge our people. So um, that's not good. But if we end up in the bottom right of the quadrant, we don't actually care and we just challenge them for the, for the sake yes. of them. As someone said recently, that's the bottom right. You end up being just like a drill sergeant and the yes. top left, you can actually end up, you know, spoiling your people. And I actually think people don't appreciate it, to tell you the truth. Your highest performers don't anyway. And mm. in the top right is this mixture, which is, high care where people know that you deeply care about them and you're willing to go there, be yes. vulnerable and you know, those things yes. and high challenge where, yes. you know, which I feel like in life is way too rare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that really does sum up my philosophy. I sort of um, talk about it in, in using different language it's one of the books that I read um, when I was doing my master's in school leadership was by Thomas Sergiovanni called The Heartbeat of Leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and he, re he uses this beautiful metaphor. I, I heard this a long time ago and it's something that sits with me all the time. He talks about building a community through um, the metaphor is comparing some uh, organizations with a marching band compared to an organization that's like a soccer team so a marching band uh, is a very um, powerful thing to see when it goes right it's beautiful everybody knows exactly what they've got to do they just need to do it in unison they follow the the, the leader there's a script and they have a really great outcome and i think lots of schools are run that way if i can just lead my organization to get everybody to do what they need to do when they need to do it we know what the um, high impact teaching strategies are so we just need to get people to do that but i don't believe in that as a philosophy i think that that's definitely the wrong way to go the metaphor of the soccer team is that uh, the same as the marching band, there's an end goal. You want to, you want your team to win the game, yeah. but there's no script. You don't know how it's going to go game to game. <laughs> yeah. And what you need is it's not leadership on the side that's winning the game for you. It's leadership on the field. What are the decisions that the people in the game are making on a day-to-day basis. So the leadership has got to empower those people to make great decisions in the moment for the benefit of the community. And the leader on the side is sort of skilled people up to be self-managers um, rather than dictating how the game goes in the moment. And there's some beautiful analysis with what we're trying to achieve at school in terms of that uh, you use in a, in a game of soccer, people use their strengths. You're not asking someone to do something, you know, to be the goalkeeper if that's not their strength. So you put yeah. people in their positions of strength and you, you get them to um, make you a public promise about what that, how they'll use those strengths to help the team. And it's very accountable because everybody's watching it. So I'm all about um, what are your strengths? How can you use them to um, support what we're trying to do at the school? Um, and, it's, and make that accountable through, you know, uh, talking about it, documents um, that, that list all of those things. And, uh, those people on the field are incredibly empowered 
and that's in, that empowerment that's motivating to work. So that's the mm. sort of community that I'm trying to build, you know, trying to empower the people around us to have a really tight vision of what we're trying to achieve, really wrap that up so everybody knows what the narrative is. They know uh, what their strengths are and, and how they're contributing to us achieving that. But they make the decisions about that so it's not scripted. And certainly schools and classrooms aren't a scripted place as much as we'd like to think they are. Uh, all sorts of things can happen in a day, but they're empowered to um, make the decisions that they think are best and are in alignment with the school's values. Oh, wow. That's just so good. Um, I, I love that because I haven't heard about, I haven't heard it described like that, the the marching band versus the game of, uh, versus the soccer team, but soccer uh, team. oh yeah, I love um soccer's my my number one sport i love oh, okay. it so i you've uh, you <laughs> you uh you have me straight away with uh with soccer team but um right. <laughs> no is is that's a great point and i've never thought about the the script idea and i love that the fact mm. that the marching band is saying no play your you're meant to be playing a b flat there mm. whereas the 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 soccer team is actually working things out as they go and and it's the decisions they're making on the field that's uh, yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. And you train them up. You can have set plays. What would you do in this situation? So they're not on their own. They're they're quite empowered, but yep. but they're still a decision maker at that point in time. And imagine what it's like to go to work each day and you have you feel totally disempowered. Mm. Um, that, that's why people drop out of professions because yeah, you know. Yeah, you're right. I completely agree. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the second thing you mentioned from from your childhood, and that was reflecting on yourself. And uh, I've shared this on the mm -hmm. podcast before as well, but I have been shocked by the number of educational leaders I've worked with where I go around a room of, an, of a leadership team. And I mm -hmm. just always, I always assumed that one in 10 would have had some troubling aspect to their education. I don't know why, but that would have been my assumption. But I'd say often it's more than half where they look back and there was something about their own education experience that at mm. first glance you'd say would be negative or sometimes they actually had a terrible education experience. It wasn't just something they were navigating themselves, but they actually had a terrible time at school and how often that fuels their, I think it, and I always say it in the room is I think it gives you such a unique empathy to reach mm. kids because you know what it's like to be them. Yes. Yeah. So that's very uh, true for me. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you about, you know, the, the thought and the question that came to mind for me as you shared that is as you look back and now as you work with kids who you see a bit of yourself when you were dealing with them, you know, feeling anxious when you were in, in yes. high school, what have you found? Like what, what, what really reached out to you? And for those who are listening who aren't in education, but maybe they have uh, kids, maybe it's their own kids, maybe it's others in their world or, or um, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be kids as well. It could be people they're leading who yes. are in that space. Yes. What have you found that's most effective to, to, to help to understand that person and to reach them in an appropriate way when they're dealing with something like that? Well, I think being a strength-based school is really the key to it. So what we talk about at this school is we look at a child and we see um, not just what their strengths are now, but what their potential is. So 
we talk about an agricultural model of education so just like seeds that you you plant and each seed needs different conditions you know they need to be nurtured and watered and have the right nutrients it's very much the same for for our students the key to that is knowing them really well and having great relationships so i've set up structures whereby each child has a what we call in loco parentis in place of the parent a, a, a significant person at the school who stays with them the whole time and gets to know them really well but when you have a conversation with the student and you say uh, this is usually the first question I always ask when I meet somebody new. Tell me about your strengths. And it's a bit of the Australian cultural thing that we don't like to talk about things that we're really good at. So <laughs> the, the majority of students will say, oh, I, I don't know, I don't know. So I say, well, the key to your strengths are the things that you do that you absolutely love. Can you think of something that you do where you lose time? Do you know time just goes so fast? Mm. Um, and they can always think of something that they love doing. So I start a conversation. Well, that's your strength. That's a strength that you have. How can we use that? How can you use that you know, each day? And we have a lot of artifacts around different types of strengths and how students can use them. But when you start with what a student can do, there's a very significant shift uh, compared to what happens when you start with mm. what they can't do, when you're looking at the deficits. And we'll often have parents come in and say, you know, what can you do for, for my child who's struggling with maths? You know, it's, it's that old sort of philosophy of my child yeah. comes in as an empty vessel and, and as educators, we fill them up. Mm -hmm. But if you flip that and say, uh, for every um, lesson, the teacher starts with what you can do and you, you connect new learning to, um, to, to things that are already in your brain. Nothing sits there apart from anything else. It's not an island. It's your brain is full of connections. So I think that's a key to overcoming students because there's so much confidence you get yeah. when you're centered in your strengths and it's that confidence that you can then use to take some risks and the hardest thing to do when you suffer from anxiety is to take any sort of risk you want yeah. to you know um withdraw from everything and, and keep your world safe but there's no learning and growing in that in that world so building their confidence building their self-esteem having that growth mindset that that risk failure is is a good thing um, it, it's part of learning that's the sort of approach that we we take with those individual students yeah i love that i'm getting more and more convinced about um you know that you're that what you're saying is really on the right track just even from friends of mine who i went to school with who who if you looked at it from one way they struggled with x y or z with their academics and that would be the focus you could easily see that and then now i've watched them become incredible incredibly mm. talented yes. professionals in yes. their fields and it's because you know i think of one mate of mine who um 
never really, you could have easily said, oh, you know, just uh, was never sort of a great achiever in, um, you know, sort of maths or, or English or, or, you know, a bunch of different subjects. But you know what? His, his ability, which was always clear even at school, is he is, he has a superpower with people. He is just anyone. You can put him with anyone and he will just get the best out of them he creates these he creates these bonds these great relationships really quickly and so i'm now you know it's it's it makes perfect sense to me now that he's yes. in construction doing very high level things for a guy he's actually uh, really doing things like incredible billion dollar projects for a, yeah. for a for a young really quite a young man and uh and yet you'd see so much of what he does is potentially with math elements or <laughs> Uh, but it's yes. it's just interesting to me yeah. that um, perhaps the sort of just the the education box uh, would have said, oh, he struggles with X, Y, or Z, instead of saying, well, actually, he's got this incredible strength. Thankfully, right. he's been able to really explore that in, in the world. Yes. And we've got a long way to go in terms of education and understanding that it's still incredibly traditional. And there's something quite sad about the fact that we say at school to be successful, you need to get an A in every subject. They don't do that anywhere else in life. Everybody has <laughs> natural strengths and, and abilities. And, That's so true. Mm, I just think that there's uh, there's a long way to go with, with education in terms of what we value and what we promote and what we say is success. I agree. And, you know, it's so funny. I've never thought of it that way, but that's, I mean, uh, that's a great way to put it in every other part of life. You're not expected to, to get A's no. across the board. That's um, mm. that would be ridiculous. And you go back yes. to that, um, the soccer team analogy, which I just, I just uh, uh, love, you know, you think of your uh, you think uh, actually one of my favorite things about soccer, because it's a dangerous topic to get me onto, because I, I love the sport <laughs> so much, but um I, I love those players on a soccer team who don't like there's there's one player who I who I loved to watch when he was playing named Xavi Alonso and he played for yeah. Spain. And the thing that made him so great is you would never see he very rarely scored. Um he very rarely uh you know you you didn't see him in any of the clear statistics of the game, but his ability was he was the middleman for everything that happened on the field. Right. So yes. when you when you actually you'd see him, he would be he was part of some of the best teams um in the past 50 years. You know, these incredible mm. Barcelona and Spain and what made him oh sorry, no, not Barcelona. Oh, I think he was a Barcelona for a, for a time, but Real Madrid and uh, mm. uh Liverpool and other places. What what I loved about him is you would just you'd see the statistics on passes and he was in everything, mm. but it, he was exactly what we're sort of describing. It was never he was never the guy on the score sheet or necessarily just doing these statistics that everyone looks at. But when you looked a bit deeper, you saw that he was he was arguably the most important piece of the teams yes. that, that he took to the heights they went to. Mm. Well, fantastic. I, I'm glad you like the soccer analogy. It's not mine. It's <laughs> Thomas Sergiovanni's, but yeah. Thank you, Thomas Sergiovanni. That's a, I'll be, I think I'll be using that one as you, as you can Correct. tell. <laughs> okay. On from soccer though. Um, do you remember having, you know, when was your first real opportunity as a leader? Do you remember your first, time where obviously leadership is um you know using the soccer analogy there's always different yes. times where we get a chance to yes. 
to influence something, but your first opportunity to manage a group of people or to really lead a project where you, where you look back and go, yeah, that was probably my first real chance to actually lead something. Do you remember what that was? Yes. Yes. So with uh, education and coming as a teacher and there are um, lots of positions of responsibility. So don't usually take a position of responsibility as a graduate. You considered a graduate for four years. I came in um, as a qualified phys ed and science teacher. So I taught my first year um, at, at my first school and six months in the um, phys ed coordinator left. So I took on the role of being phys ed coordinator and I've had a leadership role ever since. So the year after I was phys ed and sport and did curriculum coordinate. I've done just about every leadership role there is um, within a school, except for timetable. My brain doesn't sort of work that way. Um, but there was something about being able to make a difference and it really sits back in that, uh, talking to you about empowerment. I really, um, I, it's something that really energizes me to be able to work with, with people and and support them and I talk about servant leadership you know being in the service of of other people that I've really enjoyed so yeah pretty much my whole career yeah that's um yeah that that's wonderful thank you for sharing that and and what about aha moments as you think about your career are there any moments that stand out since then that there'd be there'd be so many i know but really yeah. memorable because it was a uh, turning point it was an aha moment where you think wow when i got that that penny really dropped about that idea that was really pivotal anything come to mind so the one that was pretty significant for me was i i did uh i've done a lot of professional learning over the years and uh, did a lot about the importance of being vulnerable, but I never really believed it. I always thought that uh, you needed to be, you know, present really strongly at the at the top and, um, yeah. and be able to handle anything and calm in a in a crisis and all of those. You know, what I saw as incredibly important things, and um, it's so I you know I I would be with people a lot when they would be really emotional and I, I, I'd hold it together. But this one time and I was speaking to the whole staff, so uh, 250 mm. staff uh, in, a, in a space at the end of the year and I was thanking them for um, what a great year we had had. Um, but it had been a challenging year for me because my brother had um, been killed at, at work in a really tragic accident. Oh, um, and I'd had uh, quite a bit of time off and, and really struggled through that. But I didn't, you know, I came back and I put it aside, but when I spoke to them about how it had been a hard year for me, I fell apart <laughs> and the, the tears were were flowing and yeah. now I couldn't speak and and the response that I got from that was incredibly beautiful you know so the aha for me was truly that being vulnerable is not a weakness 
um, that it's really important to be to stand side by side with um, the people that you lead, not on top of them, not trying to be um, something that you're not, that honesty about your emotions uh, really helps for people to be able to connect with you and, and work with you. So that was an incredible um, learning for me. Uh, so, you know, mm. I don't cry a lot, but every now and again, you know, <laughs> emotion gets the better of me and I'm not scared of that anymore. Not scared of letting people see, see when I feel emotional. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's uh, a wonderful story because there is something really challenging about navigating that, particularly, like you said, if you go back to earlier, that uh, knowing that you want to be a leader who challenges people, I, f I feel like um, the tension in that to really sort of let down yes. your own walls and to call people on things when you need to, I think it's a difficult line to walk. Um, but I, I just love how you describe that, that when you do risk it, and it is a risk, and sometimes it sounds mm. like in that story, sometimes you maybe you take the risk almost just because um, you know, things sort of, there's a bit of an overflow because it's, you're just going through such a challenging time. But when you do take the risk, I've, I've had the same experience where people's responses really, really shock you. And it doesn't change the, the way people see you in terms of, um, as a weaker leader, leader. it just builds connection. And I think it really helps to, to build credibility with people as well and, yes. and respect yes. that actually then helps when you need to have those That's different right. conversations. That's exactly right. Yeah. The other really interesting thing, aha moment for me was something quite different to that. I did a professional learning um, session uh, with this wonderful person who taught me all about uh, rapport. And whilst I understood the term of rapport i didn't understand the physical connection with rapport so um, it's something i've used ever since then and if i have someone who um, comes into my office and i and they're they're anxious or um, we have to have a hard conversation you can see that in their body language you know they have the crossed arms the crossed legs and what i learned is to mirror their body language and when you get into rapport with someone, then when you change your, the position of your body, they'll change the position of their body to mirror you. Then you know they're with you. You've made a connection with that person. And um, I'd never considered, I didn't know that existed, but it's been a very useful thing for me to be firstly cognizant of, of where their emotional state is at, but actually working to bringing myself into rapport with that person to be able to, um, you know, have a productive conversation. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. I, I um, my background before sort of leadership was in business development and marketing. And one of the best things mm. I ever learned was around mirroring and, mm. um, because obviously, you know, business development is all about uh, building rapport. And I, I was, I was shocked at how much, you know, I've, I found that um, the speed with which someone speaks mm -hmm. was one of the biggest things that I found really helpful because I realized I'm probably speak a bit more slowly. So if I was dealing with anyone who was fast paced without knowing it, I had probably been coming across as very slow 
to them. (laughs) Now, someone at my pace or slower than me, sure. But once for me that, so just mirroring even the, even the speed, but you're right. I love what you said about body language, but mirroring the speed with which someone spoke, I found straight away those people, particularly who were much faster thinkers, processors, speakers, when I'm, which would, it would, I find it really tiring, but when I would mirror the same yeah. speed and just go, okay, I've got, I'd, I'd have phone calls. I remember one client who spoke so fast and whenever I called him, I would just meet his pace and my brain would hurt because I was having to think so much faster <laughs> than normal, but I, I would feel like we were just connecting way better than we, than we normally would. And so it's, mm. it's, it's really interesting for people to try because it sounds a bit uh, quirky, but then when you actually mm. do it in the room with someone, it, it's amazing how much it does help to build that connection. Yes. Well, we could keep talking for so long, but uh, let me jump into, <laughs> this is too much fun. Let me jump into Leadership Express uh, questions. So right. the first one, what's a book that you've gifted to other people, Julie? The A book that I really love is called The Wounded Leader by Richard Ackerman. So it really helps people to unpack when things go wrong and um, to have that sort of growth mindset of what can you learn. And and there's a lot of talk now about anti-fragile. And I think that was the first time I sort of came across that as a, as a concept. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great recommendation. Thank you. Any great podcasts you're listening to or books you're reading right now or blogs you're following? I've just finished listening to the Trojan Horse Affair podcast. You heard that? It's all about a, 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 no. a scandal in uh, Birmingham around a, um, a group of schools and they were accused of um, being that Islam was taking over the schools. It's it's fascinating. I just couldn't believe that uh, uh, that something like that had occurred in this day and age. Yeah. Okay. I'll have I to highly it. recommend it. Yeah. It sounds. Uh, I love those sort of stories where you're just sitting there going, "I can't believe this is true." Like you know. <laughs> no, yeah. <it's>, that's right. <laughs> so no, I'll add that to the. I'll add that to the list. Do you have any favourite questions that you ask when you are uh, with a group of students when you're in a one-on-one? interview when you're with your team with parents and any questions that you find yourself asking i do so i've mentioned one of them already so i love to ask you know what tell me about your strengths and how you've used them today but also find it really useful uh, with both students and staff to sit down and say what do you need me to hear find Mm. that a great question Mm, i like that what do you need me to hear uh, what's a great piece of advice you've received? I think uh, that probably the best advice I've had is, is comes from Thomas Sergiovanni about um, to to focus on building a community and you know think about how you use your the heart of leadership. You know, thinking about what do we value, how do you use the head of leadership, what what theories are we using and the hand of leadership, how does that make us behave or how should we behave based on those things. So really working focused on building that community is, is um, an important thing for me. 
Yeah, that's that's wonderful. A movie or TV show that really impacted you? Oh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I'm a bit ashamed to say that I was really hooked to Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Is that wrong? <laughs> I no, that's not wrong. It, I haven't it was had really, that one. It was really great until it moved away from the book, but I, it got me because it, it sort of broke the rules of what normal TV mm. does, like it killed off all their main characters or what on earth is going to happen next. So. Yes, yes. No, that's great. I always say, <laughs> I always love asking that question. I really mix up the Leadership Express questions, but that question I ask nearly every time because I just, uh, I, you know, honestly, I'm just building a bit of a recommendations list for myself and for right. all our listeners. <laughs> but I've had yes. Golden Girls, Ali McBeal, oh, okay. Seinfeld. So um, Game of Thrones is well and truly allowed as a... Uh, okay, as great. <laughs> that's good. And it's I, I like asking it too because, you know, we chat leadership and I like letting people yes. know that... Um, so I've, I've had so many 10-minute Seinfeld rants where I oh, have okay. a chat with someone and we chat about our favourite Seinfeld episodes. So anyone who hates Seinfeld probably needs to skip through quite yeah. a few podcast episodes. Uh, no, that's, that's wonderful. Okay, uh, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? I would say the most important thing is to have a really strong vision and work on sharing that narrative with people. So center your work around uh, making sure that your community understands that vision and that narrative, and then ease off on the management side of things. So tight vision and loose management. So allow people to be empowered to do to achieve what you're saying needs to mm. be achieved for the organisation, but to do it in a, in a way that's meaningful for them. Yeah, I love that. Um, that's uh, that's so good. And um, <laughs> I'm so obsessed with the soccer analogy, Julie. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm such a tragic, but you, you reminded me of um, one of my favourite soccer coaches of all time is Sir, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson from... Um, mm. Manchester United and so his book on leadership is uh, one of my favorite and, and Alex Ferguson talks about one of the things that really stood out for me is how much he did exactly what you just described he would have I feel like he had an incredibly clear vision for all of his teams one of the things they always knew which was a bit of their vision a bit of their mantra as a team was um, they 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 always tried to win and so it was, and, and it was, they focused on winning the next game. He did that sort of, how do we, how do we get over the line in this game exceptionally well, but also would win so many championships. But if you look at how he managed, and this is what he talks about in the book, he had these incredible disciplines around how things like he would prepare during the week, but when they got to a game, he wouldn't give any last minute advice because he realized during his career that if he got too involved right then on the day, he'd actually confuse and upset his players. He's like, if I hadn't prepared during the week, so before the game, he wouldn't give any last minute reminders, which yeah. is really different. And then afterwards as well, he would he would never, you know, deal with something str straight away that happened on the field. He would just say, great, great work guys. And then they'd deal with it on the training field and just had yeah. this sort of ability not to micromanage in the moment, but sort of mm -hmm. do all the preparation and then be, you know, really focused afterwards. So um 
you just reminded me of, of that story as uh, as well, which I, I just love. A great leader who who won lots of championships and yeah. uh, great lessons. So for anyone who loves soccer, this has been the episode. <laughs> Surprisingly, and Julie. And it wasn't set up. It wasn't set up, I promise. <laughs> no, I didn't. Julie wasn't. I didn't say, Julie, can we do a soccer-focused episode, please? <laughs> um, it just went that way, which I love. Okay, well, for those who've really enjoyed hearing, uh, you know, about you and also about the school, where can people find you and the school online, Julie? So our website is www.rovalsc.vic.edu.au. So there's a lot of information there, all of our stuff about um, strength-based education, see what we're doing with our programs. There's a lot of... Um, things that I've written in terms of our philosophy and our vision. So that's the best place to check out our wonderful school. Amazing. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And uh, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Uh, hopefully you are soccer fans. Otherwise you've, uh, you know, some of this would have gone, <laughs> Jono's, Jono's soccer anecdotes would have gone <laughs> over your head. Um, but no, it's been wonderful. Just great, great stories. Wonderful to, uh, to hear the story of, uh, of Julie's mum, who uh, continues to be a, a confidant for, uh, for Julie, but just one of, the great, one of the great stories I've heard recently. Uh, it's been just very rich. Uh, for listeners, don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, two places you can continue to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish by saying a massive thank you to you, Julie, for being so generous with your time, sharing such wonderful stories uh, from your life and and just really fantastic leadership principles too. It's it's been a uh, it's been a great chat. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Jono. I've really enjoyed it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content 
and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.